We're continuing the Talmud series. Today it's number 37. Uh, if you remember last week, I spoke about uh, the Gemara that uh, we in Masechet Kiddushin, so the Gemara is speaking about a person that has to see himself as he always 50% righteous, 50% wicked, which means he's exactly 50-50 on a scale. Even though it's... Uh, the chance that you'll be exactly 50-50, it's almost not exist. But if a person would look at his situation in every given moment, that is 50-50, now the next mitzvah is going to do, if he does something positive, he turns the entire scale into the positive side. And if he makes a scene now, he turns everything to the negative side. Why? Because the status of a person, if he's righteous or wicked, is determined based on the majority. What does he have more? Does he have more mitzvah or more sins? If he have more good deeds, more commandments that he keeps, than sins, then he's considering righteous on a scale. It doesn't mean he doesn't have to work very hard to erase all his sins. Still guilty of many problems, but is, if he dies right now, he's already in a status. His status right now is much better. However, we have to also know one thing, that it doesn't go literally the number of the mitzvot and the number of the sins. That's not how it goes. It goes the quality of a mitzvah and the quality of the sin. If you remember, I explained to you many times in the past that sometimes you can, be, you can make a thousand sins, and each one of them is a sin, but if you combine all of them together, they will be, let's say, rated like a, like a thousand kilo. I'm just giving you an, an example. All thousand sins, a thousand kilo of negative. And then you do one mitzvah by making one Jew religious, that's already a million kilo positive. It's nothing to compare. Or the other way around. You can do a thousand good mitzvot, it's a thousand kilo positive. And then you make one sin, you make one Jew not religious, every sin is going to make, continue to accumulate in your account. It could be a million, a million kilo negative. So we're going on the quality of what you do, not on the quantity. And also, of course, uh, two people who make the same uh, scene is not equal. Two people who make the same mitzvah, it's not equal. Depends where they come from, what education they receive, where they grew up, what's the level of their soul, what their previous life was like. There's so many things to take into consideration which could be that two Jews, one made mitzvah and the other one did exactly the same. One, it's count for him uh, 10 kilo and the other one only one kilo. Why is it? Because it's two different people. Or it could be that when a person does something good, depend what's on his mind. Does he put all his attention in it? Intention, he puts his mind into it, he thinks in a positive way about the, what he's doing right now, or he just does it as a robot. We're thinking about all kinds of other things. Just let's finish and that's it. Obviously, it cannot be the same. If a person pray one hour and he thinks about every word and he gets very close to Hashem, and one person just read it because he wants to run to work, or he just wants to finish because his father forced him to go to pray, it's not the same. A person who does it from his heart and a person who just does it is nothing the same. There's nothing to compare. It could be one, can be millions, the other one can be a few single ones. So this is the idea, it's not only in the life of the individual, we are talking about the entire city. You have to think, if I'm going to do this mitzvah, I can save myself and the entire city, or the entire country, or the entire world. There's no end to it, how it can go. 
And now I asked last week, for those of you who were here, I said, what happened if a person now have to think about himself that is 50-50? Now he did something good, he turned himself to the positive side. Now he has another test, to do or not to do the mitzvah. To give tzedakah or to pretend I don't have. Hey, a poor person come, he's on the way here. Should I run away or should I run, run to him to give him? I already turned myself into the positive side a minute ago. So I'm okay now. Right? I'm in a positive side right now. That's how he thinks. Of course, that's a foolish thinking. Because a person should have to be very greedy when it comes to mitzvot. The more I get, the better it is. There's no end to it. Like the, like the same thing with the money. He make 10 million, it's only the beginning, Rabbi. Now my goal is 100 million. Now he gets to 100 million, I'm so poor. I still don't have a billion. It never ends, the upper tie to money. It has to be just as much when it comes to mitzvot, to spirituality. But if a person just did something that turned him into a positive side, so then you may say, oh, I'm I just already in a positive side. Next things that comes, you have to look at yourself 50-50 again. Even though you just did something good, you turned yourself to the positive side. No. Since you never knew, you always have to look at yourself 50-50. That's the right approach. This is the word of the Gemara. Let's move on. Today we're moving on. We're still in Masechet Kiddushin. The Gemara says, what are the righteous people compared to in this world? What you can compare them to? The Gemara asks. Like a tree who stands in a pure place. The tree is inside the land, the land is pure, and the branches of the tree with the leaves is behind the wall into an impure place. For instance, the tree is on the street and the branches go into the cemetery, which is impurity of all the dead bodies. How would you look at this tree right now? Is the tree good or bad? How do we go based on the, on the foundation, where the roots are, or where the, most of the trees, the branches, is going over there? It's, it's true, it's in the air. When they ask you where the tree is, what are you going to say? Is it in the street or is it inside the cemetery? So they say like this, the tree that stands in a good place, but the branches go into impure places, once you cut the branches, which is a common thing to do, every once in a while, or the fruit, or branches, or they break, whatever, what happened? So now is the entire tree is standing in a pure place, right? Because to move him from his place, it's impossible. You, cannot, you can try to shake him as much as you want, it's very thick, yeah, right? And you cannot move him from his foundation. The branches, you can hang on it and break it. So it means, the branches is not the main thing in the tree. Remember, you can always cut them and now there's no doubt. Here is the tree in a place of, a, of a purity. However, it could be the other way around. If the tree is inside the cemetery and the branches out there, what would you say? Where is the tree? The tree, you, you, you would have to say that the tree is in an impure place. Because if you claim it's in a pure place, you cut the branches, and here he is. It's inside the cemetery. Now, what's the analogy here? What's the comparison? So it says like this. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem, is bringing suffering to the righteous people in this world. They get a lot of suffering. I get a lot of emails about people who complain about how much they suffer. A lot. 
And, you know, people are, sometimes are looking to talk to someone. It's sometimes a phone call, sometimes it's an email. It can be Jews, it can be non-Jews. Yeah, nature of people are the same. When they have suffering, they complain. They lose money, they can find a job, they have pain, they have a divorce, a problem, problem with the children, with their health. So many different problems. Some, sometimes a person has all of the above. Everything. He's divorced, his children are on the street, he's sick, he has no job, he has uh, problems, he, he's facing jail. Who knows how many problems? And you think to yourself, wow, imagine if I was in a situation of that person, I'd be so miserable. I understand where he comes from. But the Torah said that a person should never complain about his suffering, never. The opposite should accept it with love and understanding. And always think, the truth, I deserve a lot worse. If a person comes with this approach, at least the suffering helps him a lot because he takes away all his sins. But if a person always complains, I don't deserve it, I don't deserve it, why God is doing it to me, what kind of Abba, what kind of father I have, I don't understand, etc., etc., it doesn't help. You get the suffering and you complain so much, in the end it doesn't help you. You know, what is it like? You come to a job interview and they give you the job. You come to work, from the minute you come there, oh, what a job, I didn't know it's going to be like this. It's too much, you're not paying me enough. I didn't know it's going to be so hard. Why, it makes me exhausted. All day of boss, all day, in the first day of work, from, from 8 o'clock in the morning until 6 in the evening, 10 hours straight, you didn't stop to complain. What would he tell you in the end of the day? Here is your money for today. I don't think it's a job for you. Don't come tomorrow. That's most likely how it's going to end. Why is it? What's the problem? You did the job. In the end, you did. But it counts like you didn't. This is what I'm saying. You get the suffering, now you, it's your free choice what to do with that. Accept it with love and think, who am I to complain? Yaakov Avinu, Jacob in the Torah, suffered a million times worse than me. It's a million times worse. He lost his loved son, 17 years he didn't see him. He doesn't know where he disappeared, what happened to him, thinking 17 years where your son is, missing, missing. Imagine what kind of life it is. One day your son doesn't come home. You know how many thousands of thousands of kids are missing and nobody knows ever what happened to them? Think about it. A person knows his son got killed, lo aleinu. He knows, that's it. And it was a funeral, there's a grave to come to cry. Eventually he goes back to normal as much as it's possible. But not knowing what happened to him, it's a disaster. Every day of your life, just the thought kill you. The Gemara says, There's no happiness that it's greater than relief, relief yourself from the doubts. What does it mean? Sometimes you wait for an answer if a person will send you money or not. And you think it's going to take two, three days, and it takes a month, two months, three months. It stressed you so much that you say to yourself, you know what, at this point, even if he gives it, it didn't worth it. You know, it wasn't worth it anymore. The struggle so much with this aggravation of the doubt, will I have it? Will I be able to do what I want to do? Will I not be able? Will he pay me? Will he not? Will I be able to get the house? Will the buyer, will, will the owner sell me the house? Or I, I win the bid? This stress sometimes have a heavy cost. Even in the end, they give it to you, the deal, you suffered so much mentally that you said to yourself, you know what, if you turn the wheel back six months, 
I wouldn't start with this, even though I ended up getting it. It didn't worth it for me. So the Gemara says, sometimes the, to get a quick no, it's better than to get a yes six months later. This is the idea here. Keeping you, will, would you marry me or not? I have to think about it. No, did you think? Not yet. Another week, another week. It drives him crazy. Another week, and another week, and another week, and another week. So what happened in the end? In the end, she says, yes, Baruch Hashem, it's a happy end. But all this period of time, sometimes right away you get, no, the deal is not yours, the house is not yours, you didn't get the job, we're very sorry, that's it. And you know right away. So there are thousands of kids are missing. Some of them ran out of home, and something bad happened to them, and their, and their parents don't know. Are they alive and they're still hiding so many years from me? What did I do to them that they ran away from home for so many years? They never changed their mind to ever call and say, I'm sorry. But the parents don't know that in the meantime, who knows what happened to them? They didn't have money. They sold them to prostitution. They became drug addicts. They died. Who knows? They tried to rob a bank. They got killed. Nobody knows who they are. Who knows? It could be millions of scenarios. They went out overseas and they went to jail. They caught them doing something. They could be in jail in Japan 20 years. Nobody knows. It can be in jail in an Arab country or in Iran. Imagine uh, somehow he ended up in Iran. And they put him in jail. Do you think they bother looking for, their, for his parents to tell them, oh, your son is in Iran and he's in jail for 25 years for selling drugs? Who, who, never know. I don't know if you remember once I told the story that there was a woman that her and her husband started Shinui. Shinui was an Israeli anti-religious uh, uh, party in the Israeli Knesset. And they ended up winning 15 mandats, which means half a million people vote for them in a country of less than 6 million Jews at that time, it's almost 10% or more of the population voted for them. They brought a, a talk show host on a television, and they made a huge damage to the religion, very big damage to the yeshivot, to the religious people. And in the end, they became religious. They started to come to my lectures here. They live here now. And they became religious. And the woman came to me and told me, I never said Shiva on my father. Why? One day he disappeared for many years. So what did they think? He cheated on the mother. He went with another woman to another country. That's what on their mind. So they hated him. Many years later, they found out that he was a Mossad agent. And he ended up in Romania in jail in the time of Ceausescu. And he was dead and he died there. Who knows how much they torture him, the communists. That's it. Now she, now she became religious, she feel bad now. She never, never even cared about him. She, first of all, she didn't know that he died for many years. Finally, when they told her that he was a Mossad agent and he died, she didn't know about Shiva and all this, you know, whatever the case is. So she never mourned anything. So now she felt bad, she wanted to do something for him. But this is just one example out of millions of scenarios. So. Like I said, people disappearing and all kinds of things like this. So the Gemara said the doubt can kill you mentally. Better to get out of the doubt. If you get out of the doubt, Baruch Hashem, your situation is better than to sit and wait. Let's move on. So the Gemara says like this. HaKadosh Baruch Hu brings suffering on the righteous people in this world. Why? Because their next world is so great and eternal so the little that they suffer here, 50, 60, 70 years, whatever it is, it's much like a blink of the eye. It looks a long time. Wow, 50 years of back pain, 
50 years of being crippled, uh, 20 years uh, being blind, who knows, you know, being uh, single for the rest of his life, all his life, no, no wife, or trying to have children 30, 40 years, no children. It's a major suffering. But when it's over, looking back, compared to where you go, and looking back, what is it like? Like itching your head for a minute, <laughs> compared to your entire life. Do you ever remember that uh, 30 years ago you had to itch your head? At that moment, it was inconvenience. Very interesting, right? But right now, who cares about what used to be? Okay, so now, the Gemara continues. The Gemara says like this, in the book of Yov, Yov, it's an example of someone who suffered very much. And uh, first of all, he was wealthy. He has children, boys, girls, great life. Everything is beautiful. Then uh, the, uh, the, the Satan gets permission to start destroy his life and his children dying, he loses everything, he becomes sick. One tragedy after the other. And in the end, in the book of Yov, this is what it says, your beginning is tsar, sorrow. is gemeod, but your end is climbing higher and higher. So in the beginning, there is, in this world, a tsaro. But don't worry, all this tsaro eventually leads you to a great place. Now the Gemara continue, the Gemara continue like this. The Gemara says like this. The wicked people are like a tree that the branch is standing in a place of impurity, but the branches are going to a place of purity, the opposite. The branch is in the cemetery and the branches is all, are on the street. Once the time come and they cut the branches, what happened with the, with the foundation? It stays in an impure place, which means here, they enjoy here, they eat whatever they want, they have no problem, they're not thinking about their punishment when it comes, but in the end, they are in a very, very bad situation, right? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu paid them in this world for the few things that they did. Really, everyone makes a mitzvot. But then after he cut, Hashem Yirachem, I don't have to tell you what begins there. So, when they go to a bad place, then the, then the, the foundation stay there for a very long, long time. The Gemara continues, the Gemara says like this, Shimon Ha'amsoni Aya Doresh Kol Itim Shebatora. The Chachamim, they bring drasha. What's drasha? Drasha is that when you learn one thing from another in a Torah, the Torah says the word et. Et is the. T-H-E. That's what it means in Hebrew. You took the cup to the table. The means et in Hebrew. Every time the Torah say et, there's a secret here. What's the secret? For instance, kabed et avicha ve'et imecha. Respect your father and your mother. Et your father. Respect your father. And, and again, ve'et imecha. Why the Torah say et twice? The Torah could have said, respect your father and mother. Kabedet avicha ve'imecha. Doesn't need to say ve'et. Why does it say ve'et even once? It could have said kabedet orecha. Respect your parents. Without et at all. Not only does it need twice, it doesn't even need once. What's the secret? The secret is to include your oldest brother. Who is your oldest brother? 
you also have to respect him like he's another parent. That's the secret of this pasuk. And many, many times in the Torah it says et, the, it means something else in addition. It does not say it in the Torah. How would you know what it is? You have to go to the oral Torah to know. Okay, that's the rule. That's, we read it in a prayer every morning. That's one of the 13 things that we learn in the Torah. So this, all these drashot, Shimon Amsoni used to teach his students in yeshiva every et in the Torah, what does it mean? What's the extra thing? Every time you see et, what's the extra? One day, he came to this verse and he got stuck. What was the verse? He say, et Hashem elokecha tira. Fear your God. It say et. And who else you have to fear? Remember, every time you have et means somebody else. It says, fear your God. And we have a rule. You should fear no one besides God. God is your authority. That's it. Hashem, I only fear you. Nobody else. I'm not afraid of people, of nothing. Whatever you want, that's going to be my fortune. So, his students were expecting him to say, who else should we fear besides God? And he didn't know. So he told them, everything I was teaching you all this time, until now, it's all wrong. Forget it. But don't worry, the same way that the same way that I got a reward, you and I got the reward for the learning, we're also going to get an extra reward for being honest and reversing everything and admitting that it's not the truth. Two rewards. One, for all the time we learn, even though we didn't learn correctly, doesn't matter, the effort is there, you get your reward. Even you misunderstood. But the hour you said, and in the end you came to the wrong conclusion, you're not getting punished. Because remember, in this world, you, you only receive reward if you succeeded. If you're a mechanic, you work three hours on a car of your client, and then he comes back after three hours and the problem is not solved. He doesn't pay you a dollar. Nothing. If you fix, you charge him by the hours. You did not fix the problem, you cannot charge a penny. Same thing a doctor. You come to the doctor, he checks you for an hour, and he says, I'm sorry, I don't know what you have. It's a problem. Oh, I came here and you're not solving, and now I have to go to another doctor. Obviously, he's not going to tell you, pay me. You don't know, you don't be a doctor, yeah? You're a worker. They tell you, I want you to pack the thousand CD, put them in the envelopes. You come an hour later, and he says, I'm sorry, I had a headache, I fainted. I just woke up a minute ago. Okay, give me my $15 an hour. What is he going to tell him? Get out of here before I get angry. It's my problem, you don't feel good, next time don't come to work. But by Hashem, it's not like this. By Hashem, you get paid one way or the other. Unless if you went to sleep on your own, ah, <laughs> then you lost it. But you did your efforts and it didn't succeed, you get full, full reward. Everyone who wanted to do a mitzvah, called me Shiratsanasot mitzvah, Veneenas, and he was, for whatever reason, he couldn't finish it. Maale alava katuv keilu asa'a. HaKadosh Baruch Hu counted like he did it. So this Shimon Amsoni, he got to a point, like a dead end street. He doesn't know what to say. So he told him, don't worry. The same way we learn, Hashem gave us the reward. Now it's time to admit that we were wrong. And for that, we get an extra reward. Why? That's one of the principles of Judaism, always to say the truth. Then one day came Rabbi Akiva. A different rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, and also went over the list of all the et in the Torah. And was teaching exactly like him. 
Each one of them, what does it mean? And when he came to that verse, fear your God, et Hashem elokech atira, they ask him, Rabbi, what about this et? Who should we fear besides Hashem? He told them, לרבות תלמידי חכמים. Why does it, why does it, why the Torah has et here? It should have been only Hashem. No. Hashem and all the true rabbis, the rabbis who are knowledgeable in Torah, they live by the Torah and they teach Torah, you have to fear him. Why you have to fear the rabbi? What, that he's going to give you a punch and break your teeth? Most likely he won't be able to do it. The students usually are stronger than the rabbis. Violence, it's not the point. To call the police and turn you in for something you did, it's against the law. It's against the Torah. So why do you have to be afraid of the rabbi? If the rabbi will feel bad about you, if you made him sorrow and you're guilty, it could be the end of your life right there. You can get such suffering for messing with him, even though he won't say a word. Why is it? Because Hashem is getting upset here. You not only making him upset, even if he's ready to forgive you, if he's ready to forgive you, right? The rabbi is ready to forgive you, but Hashem is not willing to forgive you. The suffering can come. The Gemara said that there was one, uh, one of the uh, Amoraim, he comes to a town and he wants to buy kosher meat. So he went to the butcher and the butcher didn't know who he is. He saw a new face. So he wanted to play games with him. So he told him, how much is a kilo of meat? He told him whatever it was, 50. And you have to get one patch with a metal stick. So I told him, ah, come on, I don't want to get a patch. He said, there's no choice, in this town that's the rule. You get it and you get a patch. So I told him, I'll give you 60, don't give me the patch. He said, no, it won't be enough. I'll give you 70, no, 80, no, 90 I'll give you. I'll pay you almost double, just don't give me the patch. He said, no. Said, okay, give me the patch, okay, I need the meat. So I gave him a patch. Now he went to the yeshiva to meet the rabbis of the place. So he comes with the meat. And, they, and he told him, I never saw strange rules like you have in your town, rabbis. How did you make such rules here? So the rabbi told him, what, what rule are you talking about? He said that every person who buys glad kosher meat has to get a patch. He told him, oh, God forbid. Who told you this nonsense? He said, I went to the butcher and that's what he did to me. He said, quickly, let's go quickly to his place. We'll teach him a lesson, this rasha. As they walk out, they see his funeral begin. Already everyone crying outside next to the butcher shop. He already died. An hour later he was dead already. So the rabbis told him, Rabbi, don't you know not to be too uh, strict? Why you, got, why, why you got so angry at him that right away Hashem killed him? He said, I promise you I didn't. I actually, when I came out, I forgave him because I thought that's the law here. It's not his fault. I thought it's like a decree that you made for whatever reason. I was, I was busy trying to figure out where, where this law came from. What am I missing here? But I really didn't get upset at him. I wasn't holding anything against him. So they say, well, you not, but Hashem did. So it's not like a person that you upset him, you have to ask for mechila, but if you didn't upset him, you call him a name, and he's laughing, everyone is laughing, and he laughs the most, but real laugh. Sometimes people pretend they're laughing, but inside they're dying. <laughs> but I'm talking real laugh. He likes this nickname. <laughs> he, like, he, he laughs. 
there's no hard feeling here. You didn't get him upset. But if you did get him upset, you ask him for mechila and it's over. But here, it's not helping you, because now you messed up with God himself. It's a big problem. So Rabbi Akiva said, Lerabot Talmidei Chachamim. Now the Gemara, we still in Masechet Kiddushim, the Gemara said, Lo yitiached adam im shtei nashim. One man cannot be alone in a closed room or locked room or in a car in the middle of the night in some place with two women. Also, obviously, with one woman. Yeah? But even two women, you may think one is watching on you not to make a scene with one of them. But one woman can be with two men. So, for instance, you need to give a right to a woman in the middle of the night to a dark street that no one is there. Or if you have to sit in a meeting in a room at, I don't know, at 8 o'clock at night and everyone left the office already. If you are alone, just you and your secretary, you're not allowed. You need to keep another man there to be with you in the office while you're sitting with her. But you cannot keep another woman to, sit, to watch. It has to be another man. That's the halacha. Now I know what you're thinking. What's the difference between a man and a woman? The psychology, two men will be more embarrassed one from another than a woman to another woman. When women are friends, it's, fr it's friendship in everything. But between two men, they will be more embarrassed one from another. Now don't start asking me questions about this because today everyone is messed up today. The world is corrupted, people messed up, everything is the opposite of what it used to be. But 2,000 years ago when this law was written, that's the way it was. A man would be very embarrassed to make a scene next to another man. But a woman, she's not so embarrassed next to another woman. So, the Gemara says, Amarav Yehuda Amarav, we are talking only about people that have a status of a kosher person. But someone who is not modest, like today, everyone is not modest. Someone who is not modest, even ten, will not watch one another. And today we can see how they were right. This was written 2,000 years ago when a woman that picked up her skirt to the knees was already banned for life from society. Nobody will marry her. This already would be nothing. If they knew the, the women today how they are, <laughs> they close the Gemara and say, let's say we don't have any desire to write anything. Anyway, who, who you write? You make a Torah for monkeys? You make the Torah for human beings. But if people behave like animals, what's the point of giving them a book, right? So the idea is like this. If it's what we call today chilonim, not religious, secular, you want to stay in the office and you have 10 secretaries, not allowed. 10. Why? They're not modest people. One, two, three, they can make a scene two minutes later. But if it's a religious woman, very religious, modest, watching all the laws, you're not allowed to stay with her. One and one. Two religious women, also not allowed. But two religious men, allowed. You understand? So everything we said here is only, we're talking about people who have status of kosher people, chazaka, no record, never did anything wrong. But if they already have a history of making scenes, all this law does not apply to them. You just cannot be with them in a closed place. So what's the solution? You do it by the window. If the window to the street, everyone walk by and see, then you're embarrassed. 
<laughs> and today I'm not sure if this is also true. People can make the scene in the middle of the street. <laughs> People don't make scenes in, pri in public places today. There's no, no, not even a drop of, a, of a respect people don't have for themselves. Forget about for other people, for themselves. Rabbi Meir, Hava Mitlotzetz Beovre Avera. We're talking now one of the most important per person ever lived. Rabbi Meir Baalanes. The legendary Rabbi Meir. The Tana, Chayemetim. Yom Achad Aid Mile Satan Keiteta Beachgisa de Nahara. One time he saw a beautiful woman on the other side of the river. He's walking by a little river. You see, psh, wow, there's a woman inside the water over there. Nakat Mitzra Vekavar. Quickly he went to the other side. Kimata Palga de Mitzra. Shavke. When he went to the other side of the, of the lake, he realized it's not a woman, it's the Satan. It was all a trick. Now the Satan is very scary. It's all full of eyes with a sword. Very, very scary. So he told him, if you are not the Rabbi Meir that every day I hear an echo from heaven, be careful, there is an important person, his name is Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir. It would be your end right now. But I give you respect for who you are, which means if it will be one of us, it will be the end of us. The Satan got us into the trap, and that's it, it's over. What's the announcement about Rabbi Meir? Be very careful from Rabbi Meir and his Torah. It's not just another rabbi. It's very important. I would make you pieces, the Satan told him. Cut you to pieces, like they cut the, the cow in a butcher shop. Rabbi Akiva, which was even bigger than Rabbi Meir, is the most important Jew in history, Rabbi Akiva. The biggest, the greatest. I don't know the most important, but the greatest in Torah, Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva, Hava mitlotzetz beovre avera. He used to make fun at people who make scenes. <laughs> How can it be this guy make this scene? This one made that scene. How can it be? He's laughing. People are crazy. How can it, how, how can it be? Laughing, doesn't understand. One day he walks in a forest, and he see a woman is calling him from the top of the tree. Like it looks like she climbed on a tree and she's afraid to come down. Now you know what happened when the, when you see such a thing. The evil inclination begin to wake up. Wow, you can climb all the way there. This branches nobody will see. You give her, you hold her, you hug her, you bring her down, she owe you her life, you ask for a telephone number. It's an opportunity. So Rabbi Akiva, the, le the most legendary person ever lived, what do you think? What's going to happen to somebody like this? Kimata lepalge de dikla, when he started to climb on a tree halfway, halfway through, hop! It became the Satan. He told them, if not you, that every day there's a special announcement about you in heaven, 
היזהרו ברבי עקיבא ותורתו, I would make you, I would chop you to pieces full of blood. דמח, would cut you like this, קרעה. This is רבי עקיבא. What do we learn from this גמרא? There are people who think, Rabbi, don't worry, I'm religious. I know I'm not allowed to look. I know I'm not allowed to give her a ride at two o'clock at night. But you know, I'm strong, you know. I, I, believe me, you know, I'm, I'm religious ten years. Baruch Hashem, I'm, I never made a sin. I'm protected. There's <laughs> all kinds of things. Always remember, Rabbi Akiva, uh, you know who was Rabbi Akiva? You don't understand. There's the only person who went to Pardes. There's, I can't even explain to you to what world his soul went. The only one who came out without getting hurt. Everybody else went to, to the place that his soul went. They never were, they never were healthy anymore, mentally. It drove them crazy what they saw. And he was the only one who survived it. It's an incredible thing. He lived 120 years, full life. Well, the Gemara says, when Moshe Rabbeinu saw in a vision that there will be a Jew like Rabbi Akiva teaching Torah, Moshe couldn't understand most of what he was teaching. So Moshe said to Hashem, Dear God, why you give the Torah by me if this person is much greater than me? Then when he finished his teaching, he said, this is how we got our Torah from generation to generation, all the way to Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe felt good. Oh, he gives me credit. Why? He was developing more and more and more. It develops. You're inventing something, another person invented more and more and more, but the original way is way. But sometimes after 10 generations, the iPad doesn't look anything like the original one 10 years ago. It's like two different things. And you look at that, you don't even know it's something you invented 10 years ago. Until they tell you, what are you talking about? This is your invention. You made it. So the same thing here. Flemo. I used to be another rabbi. Flemo avaragi lememar kol yom. Every day was cursing the Satan. Gira be'ene de sitna. An arrow in between the eyes of the Satan should go. That's what the Satan deserves. Makes us making so many sins. Yom achad ma'ale yom One day, few hours before Yom Kippur started. Eat me like anya. The Satan came to his door pretending he's a poor man. Help me out, I'm starving. I need to eat. He saw him full of pus, wounds, pimples. Very disgusting look. And he said to him, okay, okay, stand right here. I'm running to get you food. He ran to his kitchen to bring him something to eat. It took, let's say, a minute. By the time he comes back, the Satan, which is all accustomed now, he looks like, an old, uh, like a poor man, he fell in his living room and pretend he died. So Flemo got very nervous. Oh, I rushed. How did he die already in one minute? In the meantime, the Satan making noise in the street. Did you hear what happened in the house of Flemo? A poor man came to ask for food and he killed him. That's how we hear people screaming on the street. He said, that's it, I'm finished. They're soon going to make riots here. I killed a, a, a poor man that came to ask for food. What happened to the poor Flamo? He started to run out of town, to hide. Where did he hide? In a public bathroom. Why? There's no bathrooms in a house like today. You come in, 
יופלאש, מירוז, אאוטלט, ליסנינג טו מיוזיק, וואטאבר, זה דיפרנט וולד. הבטרום הוא מאוד דרדי, מאוד דיפ, הכל גורס מאוד דיפ דאון, ואחרי פעם הם באים ומקבלים את זה בסנד. זאת אומרת, הכל היה מאוד. You know, in a winter you freeze, in a summer you choke. That's how the bathroom was. And they made it very far from the city that people don't smell it. They had to go. Imagine every time you had to go to the bathroom, you have to walk 15 minutes back and 15 minutes forward. Imagine life. And then there's no toilet paper. Today, Rabbi, I don't like this. It's not, this toilet paper is, it's cheaper, but it's not as good. It's arguing. Should I buy, I have coupon. This one is smooth, this one is not. Uh, this is it, this is that, this is this, uh, special wipes, <laughs> how people used to clean, with leaves, leaves, big leaves from the trees, leaves, all kinds of weeds, that's how it was, stones, horrible, horrible life, that's why I say the life of the most miserable poor person today is a million times greater than a multi-millionaire a hundred years ago. Compare physically, physically their life. A, a, a rich man, he needs to get to a place. He has a carriage with a driver, six horses, and he has to go from Queens to Brooklyn. Three hours on the horse. Many times the wheel breaks. He has to wait now two hours in the heat until he fixed the, uh, changed the wheel. <laughs> That's how it was. Your back hurts. Today he gets into his car, poor man, lousy car. Drives a million times better than the carriage. A poor man sitting in his bathroom in his home, like a hotel compared to what they had. Right? Food. You want bread, you pay a dollar, two dollars, you have bread. A rich man, until they prepare the bread, three hours work. Get it, grind it, prepare it, bake it, bring it. Ooh, everything takes a long time. Clothing. The richest guy didn't have the suit like the most miserable person in the world. Take the, the lousiest suit you can see today, I don't know, $50 suit, by the worst designer ever. Polyester, I don't know what you want to call it, primitive, old-fashioned, made in Zimbabwe. It's much nicer than the suit of a multi-millionaire person a hundred years ago. Why? It was all handmade, all pieces of wood. It's not equal. What do you think it was like today? Everything computerized, symmetric. <laughs> Bottom line, you compare it. one thing to compare to the other. The poor people today, if you show them the life of a rich man a hundred years ago and say, do you want to replace? So, no, 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 please. <laughs> I'm a king compared to this rich guy. So why everyone is miserable today? Because it's all in the head. They're only miserable because they see that there are people out there that have much better, easier life than them. But if they never saw it, they never suffer. The suffering never comes from your situation. It comes from your environment. Remember what I say. All the suffering that a person has is just because he's aware of what's happening around him. If he was disconnected from the world, he never saw anyone. He was in a room, and that's what his life is. Pain, no pain. Sometimes he's hungry. Sometimes he has food. The food is always cold, always stale. He will never suffer. Why? That's what he knows. He doesn't know anything better. Then you show him that his neighbor in the other room has a steak, then he cannot look at his food anymore. From now on, he begins to suffer. You know, I told you once there was two people in a hospital, one by the window and one inside. 
and the one from the window is eating the heart of the one inside by telling him everyday stories. Wow, what a great park we have here. The trees are blooming, everything is red. There's ducks walking, kids riding bikes, people run, beautiful sun. The wave, the wave, the, 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 the noise of the waves from the ocean. I even, you know, I, it's amazing. What, you have no idea what you're missing. That guy is hating every second of his life because of him. Because I'm inside in a room, they both paralyzed, cannot move. So this one is in, this one is by the window. So they both cannot move, they can only move their head. So he tells them, wow, if you see what I see, believe me, it's fortunate. Now what happened? Once in a while they get an attack. So if this guy by the window gets an attack, the other guy has to press the alarm for the doctors to come, emergency, you know, electric. So after a few times he couldn't take the pain anymore. He's by the window and I'm going to continue to suffer forever. So the next time this guy had a stroke, the one inside was pretending he's sleeping. He waited until he died, and then he pressed the alarm. <laughs> and they came, so what happened? I think something happened to him. I don't know, I was sleeping, I heard noise. Uh, it's too late. They started to say Kaddish, they take him out. So now he said to the nurse, listen, I'm here already three years. Make sure you move me quickly now. Push my bed to the window. My hair, quickly before you bring somebody else and he gets the window. She said, okay, sir, I don't know what you're so excited from the window. <laughs> she moves him to the window. It's a hallway in the hospital. <laughs> no, no park, no sun, no nothing. What does he see? Somebody mapping the floor. Uh, lousy gray. It's the hallway, hallway of the hospital. Why was he suffering? Only because the other one has great life compared to me. But if the other one was honest and was telling you, ah, what a horrible view. They couldn't pull us by a nice park, nice place that I have to see all, the, all day this hallway. He would never suffer. And he would never become a murderer. Because all the suffering comes from around. Why? Because you don't have faith. If a person has faith, no matter what he sees around him, it doesn't bother him. Why should I be jealous with them? I have my life and they have their life. I live in this planet and they live in a different planet. I am X and he is Y. I have to be like this and he has to be like this. What's the point of me being? He wants to be a doctor for heart and he wants to be a doctor for brain. What's the point of being jealous one with the others? No, nope. I chose this, I chose this. Hashem chose for me, etc., etc. So anyway, the Gemara continue. So Flame went to the bathroom. Imagine Yom Kippur is starting, everyone in the shul, call me, Idre, everyone is crying, and poor Flame is hiding in the bathroom. Then he see, oh, he hear noise on the door. Who is this? Open. He opened, he see, the old man is back to life. How did you get here? I thought you died. Don't worry. I'm not a real person. I'm the Satan. I was only playing games with you. Why did you do this to me? You got me so scared. He said, because every day you're cursing me. You say the arrow should go into my, in between my eyes. What do we learn from this? That the Satan has feelings. <laughs> Otherwise, why get upset? Get upset. Why are you cursing me? I'm only doing my job. This is the lousy job Hashem gave me to make people make sins. You think I like it? One, you know, the Gemara said when the Satan loves a person, 
when a person loves a person, which means if a person is very righteous, even the Satan loves him. So before the trial of that person begins, he sees what's happening in the next world. He sees where he can go and he sees the Satan. He is the one who took his soul out. So the Satan tells him, don't worry. I heard that Hashem is preparing a very special place for you for the next world. Relax. If you hear it from the Satan, then you know your situation is good. Probably we won't hear it. But there are people in history who got it. So one person, the Satan loved him. One time he came, he spoke to him, and uh, the Satan told him, you are very special up there. You're a special person up there. So he said to him, if I'm so special in your eyes, can I ask you a favor? When the time comes for you to take my soul out, I want you to promise me one thing. You never ever take my soul out before you give me one minute to confess. Chatani, aviti, pashati. Because I know before I die, I must make a confession. Now, if you take me by surprise, accident, heart attack, whatever, I won't have time to confess, then I have a big problem. That means my repentance is not complete. So I want you to promise me just that you give me an extra minute to make a confession and then you take my soul out. That's all I'm asking. And Satan is thinking, okay, that's what you want, fine. For someone like you that I like, I'm willing to do it. Then this person, a few weeks after, the rabbi comes to him in a shul, he said, Moshe, I noticed that in the last month you're not doing confessions anymore. Everyone, you're sitting like this, smiling. What's going on with you? You don't think you have sins? You're clean? He said, no, no, rabbi, I have a lot of problems. I know I have to make tshuva. So why you don't make vidui? Don't you know that vidui is mitzvah from the Torah to confess? So he told him, no, Rabbi, I have my reason. Please don't doubt me. I have my reasons. So now the Satan, one day, had to take his soul out. But you see, this guy never made confession. He tricked him real good. He got him to promise. And he doesn't ever make confession. He said, wow, like this, I'll never be able to kill this guy. I got to keep my word. I'm an angel. I have to keep my word. So he said, what am I going to do? So thinking what to do. So one day, he was laying in the middle of the street like a person that is about to die. He's laying there in the middle of the road as this person comes with his horse. Now you, you see a person is dying on the side of the road. What do you do? Jump to see what can you do. Even though in America it's not such a good idea because after that they'll sue you for the damages. That's in America. But in the old days, you see someone is dying, you jump to help him. Well, what can I do for you? Listen, I'm dying. I know I have another minute to live. I need you to help me. I don't remember the words of the confession by heart. Can you go over it with me that I can die with repentance? So he said, no problem. Khatati. So the, the guy said, Khatati. Aviti. Pashati. Just when he finished the vidui, oh, the dead man became the Satan. You want to fool me, huh? <laughs> I fooled you. I made you help the guy. That's it. This is all what we call mashalim, analogy. What's all this? There's a lot of secrets into these stories. Don't take it literal as it is. You have to understand. This is the whole concept of the story that you learn, first of all, you learn some things from it for life. 
but there are many secrets inside. There's one book about the Maharal that is explaining all the secrets of all the stories of the Talmud. When you begin to read it, you realize that none of it is literal as it sounds. None of it. There's so many secrets, like a bird is landing on a tree. The size of the bird is like a CD. Imagine the size of the tree. Obviously, there's never things like this. A bird the size of a CD. Or, or a tree, if it lands on a tree, then a tree is the size of a country. All kinds of analogies that every fool understands that it's not literal, but there are many secrets inside. And also the Chachamim knew that all the oral laws, all the oral Torah secrets is hidden in those stories in the Talmud, very, very deep. But for us, it's good to learn ethic, to learn Musar. That someone like Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Akiva can fall in a trap of a woman. Or don't mess with the Satan. Don't curse him, don't call him, don't ask for tests. Don't do things like this. We learn from this. That's what the, the secret of the story from the outside is this. But obviously there's much more secrets into it. Then the Torah says like this. Kol she'asakavim nashim. A person that is businesses with women. What person is businesses with women today? Plastic surgeon. Selling bags, press, women clothing, hair salon, many doctors, uh, gynecologists. It's people who deal with women. Selling art, furniture store. Who comes? The women. They like the design. So some businesses attract women. Some businesses only men comes in. Some businesses half and half, depend. But some businesses, you know, a man doesn't come here all year. It's only women. So, kol she'asakavim anashim, a person that deals with the ladies, lo ipyachedim anashim, will always make sure there's another man with him. Never be alone with them when they come, even a doctor, whatever it is. What does it mean? It can be with them in one room for the privacy of the patients or whatever, but make sure the door is not locked, that everyone from the outside can open. And a male nurse, a person that does the x-ray, People can come in. Why? Once you have a guard, someone who can break in, even though your thoughts are not clean, you are afraid to make a move because anyone can open in. But if you lock it, or if they need a code to open, then it's a problem because things can happen, and we saw how many bad things can happen. So, Loit Yachedim Anashim. I think we're finishing by this, Masechet Kiddushin, and we'll move on next week. We're going to go to... Masechet Baba Kama, which, Baruch Hashem, we're moving pretty good. We're finishing Kiddushin now. That's the last page of Masechet Kiddushin. So, someone will never teach his son the art of the ladies. Don't teach your male children jobs that will put them always in touch with the ladies. Selling diamond rings, selling all kinds of things. All day is dealing with a lady, especially today. This is 2,000 years ago when I'm telling you that the, la the worst non-modest woman was like a rabbitson today, as far as clothing. 2,000 years ago. Imagine if they had to write it today, they would write, no man is allowed to stand one step away from a woman, ever. Not only not to be with her in a room, Never even to look at them, to isolate yourself in an island, that's the only way to get saved. But obviously it wasn't written today. This is 
according to 2,000 years ago, it's needless to say today. A father should never teach his son jobs, professions that will make him work with the ladies all day. Rabbi Meir say a person should teach his son a job that it's clean and easy physically. Don't teach him to be a mover in Moshe's movings. There's no future over there besides a broken spine and FBI on your tail for all the tricks that they do over there. Not by him, all the moving companies. If you watch the show about them once, they made a whole show about them. What is it? You know what they do or no? You don't know. It shows that you don't have houses, you never moved. Because if you ever use the professional moving company, chances that you are one of their victims. They tell you this job would cost $7,000. Everything include wrapping, packing, everything, and bringing everything into the new house. Then when the truck arrives to your home, they say, sir, we didn't expect the job to be so difficult. It went another 10 hours than what we estimated. We are losing money here. You have to give us another 5,000. Well, I'm sorry, I have a contract. We sign on it. 7,000, not a penny more. Give you a tip, but that's it. Sir, you don't want to give us the job? The workers. We're not getting anything out of the truck. It's your decision. We wait an hour, you make up your mind. You don't want, we go back to where we came from. Now you're in Chicago, you move from New York after a whole two days driving. The truck finally arrives. You so say, you're not giving us extra, we're going back. We're not gonna, uh, we're not gonna release anything from the truck. And what happened? The person has no choice. What can he do? He needs his stuff now, furniture. He has his personal stuff there. He was hoping to have it tomorrow. And that's what they do. Eventually, after so many complaints, the FBI started to put cops pretending that they're moving. And once so they were doing those tricks, they were recording them. And many of them went to jail, and they took away everything. All their money, all their bank accounts were frozen. And many of them were sent to 13, 14 years in prison, finally. And that's got them, a lot of them, to be scared next time because, you know, you never know. Maybe you recorded. Same thing they did with mechanics. But over here, at least, there is somebody who run after the crooks. There are countries that are so corrupted that every one of the supervisors, including the police and the FBI, is more corrupted than the mechanic and the mover and everyone else. Everyone is a drug dealer, is a murderer, is so many things going on. It's very difficult. So Rabbi Meir say a person should clean his son a clean job. What is it a clean job today? Real estate, diamonds, selling rugs, selling paintings. Clean, easy job. Not a barber, 13 hours a day standing until his spine is bro broken to two. So six days a week cutting, and some of them work on Shabbat, Hashem Yerachem. Every time like this, one hour he worked, he made $15. One hour, how many times he went like this with the scissor? Each one of them is stoning, and the soul get cut for eternity. It's a barber. It's like lighting a cigarette on Shabbat. The scissor went like this, one cigarette. Again, two cigarettes. Three cigarettes, four cigarettes, five cigarettes, seven, thousand, five thousand. How many times to have a haircut? How many times do you have to go like this? At least a thousand times, no? When they make an haircut. Someone has a lot of hair until they cut everything, they make it straight. Could be 500, who knows? 
It's the worst mechalel Shabbat. How much a barber makes? All day standing like a slave, hundred dollars, two hundred. The owner of the shop, five hundred dollars. For three, four, five hundred dollars, how much suffering are coming to him in the next world for that? It's a shame. That's why I always say ignorance is the biggest danger. If he only knew what he's cooking for himself, even for a million dollar a haircut, he wouldn't agree to work on Shabbat. And I know there's hundreds of Bukharians that works in this job. That's why I say it. Hopefully they listen to me and wake up before, because other people don't apparently don't tell them. It seems to me that nobody else cares to wake them up. Hey, don't go anymore to this job. But they fire me. They need me to come. So let them fire you. Oh, you're not exactly making billions over there. So you find another job, you make a little less. But you keep Shabbat. Anyway, there's no blessing in this money. That's besides the point. Then, the Torah says like this, לעולם ילמד אדם את בנו אומנות נקייה וקלה, ויתפלל למי שהאושר והנכסים שלו. Just to clean your, your, to teach your son a job, an easy job, it's not enough. You have to pray a lot to Hashem, but he's the master of all wealth. That would lead him in the right direction and give him enough parnasa to make a living. Because... The job does not determine wealth or poverty. The job, it's not the reason if you're going to be job or not. Like some people think, I'll be a plastic surgeon, for sure I'll be rich. I'll be in real estate, I'll be a diamond dealer, for sure I'll be rich. I'll, I'll be a, a, a taxi driver, how can I be rich? Baloney. There are many great doctors that makes a lot of money, but in the end of the year, they owe hundreds of thousands of dollars. They have addictions, gambling, drugs, insurance problems, lawsuits, a, a partner that stole the money, opened a clinic in another place, you have to start from zero, the computer erased all the names of all the patients, so oh, many tragedies can happen. Yes, you have a job that's supposed to bring million dollars a year. In reality, Hashem left you with nothing. And then the taxi driver, yeah, he drives, he makes $150, $200 a day, he works very hard. One day someone left a bag full of jewelry, diamonds in his place with no ID, with no nothing. Yeah, $500,000 inside. I know someone, it happens to him. Did you hear the story about the Pakistani woman that sells lottery cards? Did you hear that or no? About a month ago. <laughs> I just heard it on Shabbat. About a month ago, this woman sells uh, lotto cards. Automatic from the machine. One guy comes to her and says, give me two dollars, lot of cards. He meant two. Two cards of a dollar each. She didn't understand. She made one card of two dollars, which supposedly doubled the price. He says, ma'am, I told you two cards of one dollar each, which means two dollars combined. She says, I'm sorry, I printed one card. I didn't understand. He says, I'm sorry, it's not my problem. I want two cards. She gives him two cards, now she's stuck with a card that costs two dollars. She has to get it into the cash register. All day, she is trying to convince customer by mistake I printed a two dollar card. Do you want to buy it? No, no. Even those who came and bought two dollars card didn't want to take that card. Eh, maybe it's a trick, who knows what she did. Maybe it's from a different, I didn't see it coming from this computer. I don't know, today with so many crooks out there, people were afraid to take it. In the end of the day, she got stuck with a card, so she put two dollars in the cash register. <laughs> she has to pay for it. And the next day, it won a million dollars. You understand? 
this is, a sh this is to show you that Hashem wanted her to make two million dollars. But working in a lousy shop, she can never make a million dollars in a lousy shop. How much do they pay her over there? Ten, eleven dollars an hour? How she's going to make a million dollars? Naturally, there's no chance. But Hashem wanted to give her a million dollars. He played a trick like this. Sometimes Hashem wants to make you rich, and in your job there's no way to make so much money. What happened? You cross the street and a car hit you. You break your leg, you take away a million of your sins for the suffering, and at the same time you win the lawsuit and you get seven, eight hundred thousand dollars for the accident. Right? So you don't know that the only reason that you had that accident is for two reasons. Hashem wanted to give you money, and if you walk in a shoe shine, you're not going to make $800,000 in, in two months, right? So what happened? He wanted to give it to you. So he made it natural that you get the 800000 and at the same time, he hold the suffering and clean away many of your sins. You know, the cast, walking like this. If there is X amount of suffering, don't worry. Even the suffering is not for free. You're earning. Every step, it's erasing suffering, erasing sins. But a person doesn't look at, oh, I got lucky. I had an accident and I became a rich man. No, he doesn't look at this. He see, wow, what a bad luck. What a bad luck that it happens. But this is the way Hashem can send money in, in many ways. You can have a lousy job. One day you meet a girl, her father is so rich, gives you so much money, you don't have to ever worry. Give you an allowance. Yeah, in your job you don't make. But, you, but from your in-laws, you get so much more money, more than people who kill themselves all day at work. There's many different ways, bottom line. So this is the, this is the source. The Gemara say, the job doesn't have wealth or poverty in it. Hashem decides. Shelo aniyut mea'omanut velo aashirut mea'omanut. Profession does not determine your wealth. Everything is according to who you are and the plans of God in a creation. Remember, two things. Who you are. You are a crook. You are Michalel Shabbat. You are a thief. Then you're damaging your parnasah. Even when you make money, there's no blessing in it. You're honest. You have faith. You trust God. You pray to God. You clean. You don't steal. You don't cheat. Ten years, you don't see results. And then, boom. One big deal. And you become a multi-millionaire. And you don't know. You know why Hashem gave it to me? Because he'd been testing me for seven years, and he saw that I was good, but seven years it took until Hashem say, okay, you already proved you yourself, you don't, have, you don't need a test in money. Here, live like a king. Why? I'm happy. Or some other people, make, 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 make money, boom, everything is gone. Make, make, make money, boom. Lawsuit, problem, they have to close the place. FBI, three years in jail, starting from zero. Again, make, make, make money, didn't learn the lesson. Again, starting to cheat. Tricks, forging, this, that, seven years they make, 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 boom, everything is gone. You got it? This is what's happened. And Rashba say, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar says, Did you ever see an animal or a chicken that have a profession? I went to college. How many years they learned to find food? They get a living without agony and pain. And they were created to serve me, to give me eggs, to give me milk, to, give, to become my meat and food on a Yom Tov. 
They were created for me. Without me, they have no existence, all these animals. Everything around me in the world was created for me, the trees, everything. These animals without me wouldn't be here. Because Hashem wanted me here, He made them for me. And they get their food without going to college, without killing themselves so many years. Isn't it needless to say that it's supposed to be like this by me also? So why it's going difficult? Why it's difficult? I was created to serve Hashem. They were, served, they were created to serve me. And I was created to follow Hashem's instruction. Right? Isn't it needless to say that I should make my living without any sorrow? But I committed my sins. And I destroyed my life. And I hurt my living, my parnassah. And that's it. Then the Gemara said, the best doctor directly to hell. Now I know what's all the doctor thinking. Ah, here I am, I chose the wrong job. Don't be panic. The Gemara wants to teach one point here. Of course there are righteous doctors with good heart and they care for their patients and everything fine and they're not going to go to hell because being a doctor. Maybe because of not observing Shabbat. That's a different story. But... What is a good doctor? What is a bad doctor? A good doctor is a doctor who at any given moment knows that life and death is definitely not in his hand. It's only in the hand of Hashem. Hashem uses him as a messenger to do what he wants in a creation. If the person is supposed to leave, Hashem will make the doctor successful in the surgery. If not, there will be complications two hours later and he dies like we see many times. They said the surgery went well and the patient died. Or they're not so sure if the surgery went well, but somehow he recovered. So that's one thing. Second, what's the reason that the Gemara said that it's not a good job being a doctor? Why it's not a good job? Because the evil inclination will make you over the years cold as eyes to the pain of your patients. If you work all day in surgery room, or you, you're making cats to people and all day you see people screaming, oh, I'm dying, what a pain. You give them anesthesia, this, that. You see people laying, somebody calling you for 10 minutes from the other room, you're reading your newspaper, you're not running. Yes, sir. Okay, hold on, let me give you a painkiller. Do not so worry. Even in the delivery room, the woman scream and this, 20 minutes until he comes. It's not in a rush. Why is it? Because once you hear it and see it every day, you become indifferent for it. You, you, that's what you called. Your feelings do not work. Your conscience is dead already. What happened? Ah, every day I see it. How many years I'm going to get excited from people's pain? And that's the biggest danger. You see people are suffering. You got used to it. That can happen definitely also to other people, not only to doctors. It can happen to us. Every day we get 10 envelopes by mail. Orphans, another family is broken, another person lost his house, this kid needs a surgery, this person needs a kidney. After reading it so many times, we're not sitting and crying when we open the envelopes, but technically, we should have cried for each one of them. It's another brother of mine, another sister of mine, doesn't matter, I don't know her, but she's my sister, we are from the same nation. Another family is crushed. Another kid went into drugs. Another person was thrown out of school and is going to be a criminal on the street. As long as it's not me, I'm okay. That's the, uh, the idea of the people. Rav Avigdor Miller once said in his lecture, Zecher Tzadik Livracha, 
that it's a sin to receive this envelope and throw them directly to the garbage. If you know by reading from the outside what is it about, you don't, you don't have to open it. But if you don't know what it is about and you just see some kind of a charity fund and you throw it, it's a problem. Why? Maybe it's a Jew, it's a big rabbi, is begging for help. You may not have money. You may come and say, Rabbi, what do you think? If I had money, I would open it. But what's the point? I'm up to here with debt. I owe money, credit card, people, this. I'm behind on my mortgage. I'm not even allowed to give tzedakah. So wow, every day I'm going to open 10 envelopes. So what's the point? I'll tell you what's the point. You cannot give money, but you can give 30 seconds of your time to say a chapter of Tehillim for him. Shir la'ma'alot, for this person that this problem will be over. Two, three chapters from Tehillim. How long? One minute? Two minutes? That's also very important. It's very, very good donation. Retailing for him, retailing. Today there's a good thing. People sending SMS all day. Pray tailing for this, pray tailing for that. Don't ignore it. Right away, say, if you're busy now, you're in the middle of something, stop 20 seconds, say Shirla Malot. At least one. Shirla Malot takes 15 seconds to say. That's it. You learn it by heart after a while. Sfaradim knows it by heart because they say it in Arvit every night. Shirla Malot, Asanai Larim, Ainavo Ezri, finished. Oh. But it's multiplied by 10,000 people. 10,000 people will say, Shirla Ma'alot, it's already can change the life of a person. You come to Shamaim, Hashem say, to say you saved 300 people in your life from death. Me? Well, I'm not a doctor. 300 people got saved thanks to you. Why? Every time you get that SMS, you open, X, X the son of Y, say to him for him, surgery, problem. Heart attack, this, cancer, coma, shemirachem. So many, I get, like I told you, fuel like this every hour, every hour. So, what do you do? You say, pirket eilim. Sometimes you get three in a row. So you say, two, three pirket eilim for all three that you just got. Don't worry about the names. Hashem knows who you're saying it. Sometimes you forget the names. You don't have the list with you, your phone, whatever. I read now Tehillim for all the people that I was asked to pray for them today. Hashem knows. It's this, it's Moshe, Yitzchak, Rachel, whatever they are, etc., etc. So doctor, it's a dangerous job. But if you keep your emotions alive and your conscience is still alive and you don't have ego and pride, you respect your patient, you talk to them nicely, you're not a Mr. Show-off, then it's very good to be a doctor. But most of the doctors I've seen in my life many of them. I saw many good doctors, I'm not saying no. But I've seen doctors that the patience for them is like a piece of wood. You can see him dead on the street, he doesn't care. Why? He got used to it. Every, you see, piece, bodies, person who takes care of bodies, autopsies, autopsy, they cut, take pieces, take the brain, take the heart, doesn't bother them. The man is holding a heart and a brain in his hand and he's not fainting. If I only touch it, I faint. But maybe after a thousand times, I also won't faint. Because people get used to it. It's become a nature. This is why it's dangerous. Rabbi Nohorai say, I'm leaving all the profession in the world alone. I will only teach my children Torah. Nothing else. No profession, no college, no you know, learn this, be a tailor, be a mechanic, whatever. I don't need, no, don't need to learn anything. Just learn Torah, that you enjoy from the Torah also in this world, and everything is a huge reward for the afterlife. How do you enjoy in this world? 
you become a speaker, you can become a teacher, you can write books. Some of the rabbis became multi-millionaire, and they never worked a second in their life. Just by the Chidushet Torah that they wrote, so many people like their books, they started to buy. I know one rabbi who sells CDs, $15 each. And the person who makes my CDs, we give these CDs for free, for Kiruv. But the other person sells them, he put them in a nice box, and he sells a few of them, $100 each, and he gets more than 1,000 orders in a year. So if he, gets, he sells more than 1,000, it's $100 each, he makes $100,000 just from his lecture. <laughs> you understand or no? So you see, if Hashem wants you to make money, you make money. You can be a great sofer, you write Sefer Torah or Tfilin. If you have good reputation, you make good money. So through the Torah, there's ways to make money. Of course, it's not uh, finishing Harvard and becoming a, a big uh, lawyer somewhere in a, in, a, in a firm or something, but just to give you an idea that there are ways not to know anything besides Torah and still be a millionaire. And I've seen people like this. So this is what he say, Rabbi Nehorai, I don't teach my kids nothing besides Torah. Because every other profession, it's not like the Torah. It only benefits you in this world and not always. Sometimes you learn the profession, but you can't find a job. Sometimes you become sick. So you know you put a lot of time and money to learn the job, but now you cannot do it. Sometimes you become old. You, only, you work 20 years in this job, now you're old, you cannot continue to work in this job. Now you have to start all from the beginning. Or sometimes you have pain that prevents you from doing this job after you put so much time into it. And you cannot deal with your profession after you learned it, and you can die from starvation. But the Torah, it's not like this. It always watch you, always protect you, always give you everything you need in life when you are young, and then when you old, just as much. Rav Yashiv, 101 years old, and still learning Torah like the kids in pre-1A and first grade. And the same enthusiasm and efforts, just like that, 101 years old. And he's learning since he's three or four years old already. Since they put him in kindergarten, they begin to learn, Aleph, Bet, you name it. 96, 97 years straight, more than 20 hours a day. And just he had Sunday a surgery. They brought Dr. Kalir. Every seven years he has some vein in his arteries. The vein is becoming weak. They bring this doctor. We replace that vein, something like that. Half a million people were praying all day in the Kotel, in all the yeshivot. Half a million people all day pray for his health. It's not a young person. It's vain that has a shalom, a question of life and death. The whole world paused until they came out and they announced that the, the surgery went very good and Baruch Hashem hopefully have a lot more years to go. The most important person in the world. It wasn't a joke. Even the surgeon, which is an American doctor, is a world expert in this kind of surgeries, the best in the world, he said that he got very excited when he realized the responsibility, even the president of Israel, Shimon Perez, made a special meeting in front of the cameras with him to show him the, 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 the excitement that everyone has from what he did. Appreciation. This is just to show you what's going on here.
And Rav Eliashiv, if he only wants right now one million dollar cash in his hand, all he has to do is make one phone call. And hundreds of people would run, fight, who's going to be the one who gives it to him. But he doesn't need it. He lives very simple. In YouTube, you can see him, how he learns Torah all day, all night in his house, how the house looks. <laughs> you won't be able to live there one day. But he doesn't care about this. Rav Steinman, about two, three or four months, they say that somebody stole half a million dollars from his apartment. If you look at his apartment, he doesn't even have chairs. He has milk carts. That's the chairs. Take milk boxes, and they make chairs from it. The house is probably one of the worst five houses in the entire state of Israel. Guarantee. But millions of dollars went through his hand, and everything he gave out. There's one billionaire in Monsi that he said to him, every night you will sleep in my house, I will give you $300,000 and you decide what you want to do with that. You want to sleep one night, $300,000. You sleep two nights, $600,000. You sleep a month, you name it. Just, just come sleep in my house, for me it's a blessing. Worth it for me, $300,000. Why is he doing it? He wants to show the world if you have the money, and you don't run after the kosher holy rabbis that do a holy work to run and beg them to take your money. Not only you are a fool, you are a wicked person. No other word to describe you. Why? If someone is a soldier of Hashem and he goes to protect the land and he needs your help and you pretend you don't see it, what are you? What are you? You need him to come beg you? Once in a while, you find smart, rich people, not that many. Once in a while, that they run after the tzedakah. I have a guy here from Chicken from, for Shabbos, Newman, Obi Newman. Every time you see me, he runs after me. He's not a billionaire, he's not a millionaire, he's an ordinary person. He does chesed for all the poor people, collect money to give them food. But every time you see him, he runs after me, and every time he say, even today, be careful. When you want to make your next video, I want to be the first one you call to give you money for the video. And the first video I made, he paid more than half of it without even asking him. I just told him, by the way, I'm preparing now Torah and Science film. First one. He said, well, I want to be a part of it. Well, did you start to make your new film? Not yet, the guy just got married, he's busy now, the guy who makes the film. Probably will start. Make sure you call me. As soon as it starts, promise me, promise me, today, today on the phone. Promise me I'll be the first one. And you know how many very rich friends I have over the years that have a billion times more than what he has if he has. <laughs> and every time, you, they hear that somebody needs, they hear that you give thousands of CDs for free, and it's been going on for months, for years, and they pretend that they don't see. But they continue to spend fortune on nonsense for their belly. Fortune. Bar mitzvah for their son, $100,000. Wedding for their daughter, half a million dollars. Car every three, four months, 80000 100000 Toys for the kid, 500 300 These 500 scooters in the garage. Saving the souls of the Jews? Ah, it's not for me. I'm eating good. I have my nice pool. 
I'm sitting getting a 10 every Sunday in my pool. That's my life. Why do I need this? This is it. This is what they're talking here. And remember, Bezrat Hashem, the life here is too short before you realize it will be over. If you ever think, I'm going to make, I'm going to be, I'm going to save this, this is a very big mistake that the Satan is burying you every day deeper and deeper and you don't realize. You don't realize. You have enough to eat, you must trust Hashem that next month you also have what to eat. I told you the story and we'll finish with that. We finish Masechet Kiddushin, Baruch Hashem, B'Sha'a Tova. And there's one guy in the yeshiva who told me, I want to leave the yeshiva and go get a job. And I told him, why you need to get a job? You're not learning Torah? You're not happy? He said, no, I'm very happy. I love it every day here. So why you want to go? I'm 25. I'm going to have to get married soon. They're already offering me all kinds of shiduchim. Imagine tomorrow I have to get engaged. I don't have money. Well, I cannot buy a wedding ring, diamond ring, car, put down payments a few months on a, on a house. I'm going to need minimum $20,000. I don't have it right now. So I want to prepare that when it happens, I'm going to be ready. I don't want to start asking people for help. So I told him, who told you you're going to, give, to be married? He said, what do you mean? I trust Hashem to find me the right girl. And saying, let's say you get married. Who told you one day you're going to have children that you have to feed them, that you always worry, I'm going to need money for my children, this and that. Who told you you're going to have children? He said, what do you mean? Why are you asking me this question? I, I trust Hashem that I'll have kids. Ma, I get married and I also trust Hashem that I have kids. So I told him, okay, so you trust Hashem to get married. You trust Hashem that He will give you kids, but you don't trust Hashem that He will give you enough money to live. Who are you telling stories? You don't trust Hashem in anything. It's either all or nothing. If your father is your father and you trust him, you trust him in everything. Whether it's $10 or $50 or it's, I don't know what, or to get the car tomorrow night. And if you don't trust him, then everything you have a doubt about him. So you have to make up your mind. I'm going to get married, I'm going to need money. Hashem wants, you're never going to get married. If he already wanted you to get married, he's going to take care of your needs. I saw it hundreds of times in yeshiva. An hour before the wedding, they didn't have a dollar. You don't believe me that it's possible, huh? In one hour, you're getting married. You got the ring. You owe money for the ring. You don't have anything. By the end of the wedding, you're going to have to pay for the wedding. It's three hours from now. Who say people will bring you gifts? You take the gifts, whatever people bring, and you pay. You pay the band, you pay the, the place, you pay the food. How do you know? I saw it in our yeshiva hundreds of times. People came to the wedding, and by the end of the wedding, they went home with leftover. Always. Why? Whoever trusted Hashem sometimes get to the last second. Hashem likes to stretch it to the end. The more he stretches it, the more you express your faith, your emunah. If you get it right away, <laughs> always I get it right. Hashem, I need money, please, please. Up oh, two hours later, you get a phone call, I'm sending you a check. Once, twice, ten times, then, then you relax. You see, it's always working. But another minute, your landlord is going to come here and start cursing you for not paying the, the rent on time or whatever. Up, the money comes. The last second. It's much harder, but it's always going to come. 
why Hashem runs the world. You do what He wants, you're going to learn Torah, you're going to help other people to become religious, you're going to do things and Hashem will, left, will leave you on the street to die? That's what you think about Him? You feed the Indian who kissed the, 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 the feet of Buddha every day. He gives him millions of dollars. He gives the Hezbollah murderer, terrorist, millions of dollars. He gave Osama bin Laden hundreds of millions of dollars, this Hitler. Hitler has also a lot of money. Saddam Hussein, Gaddafi, King Hussein, all of them have billions of millions of dollars. Hashem give all these murderer, filthy people, crooks, that make millions of scenes with all the kafia and all these kilts that they wear, pretending that they're religious. I don't want to tell you what's the books, the biography that they write about them later. If you read what they do inside, in Saudi Arabia, all the sheikhs, what they do there, drugs, women, prostitution. Outside, they'll kill you if they see you. But in their private party, if you see what's going on over there. Same thing Iran. As soon as the plane takes off to Paris, they all take their custom off, mini skirt, tight jeans, lipstick. Right away, it's a different lady. Why? It's all because they're afraid of the Iranian police. Not knowing Hashem is not really a factor here. But if you really believe in Hashem, you'll be on the moon. On the moon, you'll be modest. Alone, on the moon. Nobody sees you. Why? Hashem watching me. I don't need the Iranian police to come and put me in jail and beat me up because my wife wasn't 100% modest. That's not it. So if you think that Hashem will give to all these filthy people and would leave you alone, and you're losing from listening to him, not only you're not religious, you live in a very big illusion. Now if you come and tell me, listen, reality is reality. I gave a lot of tzaka. I learned a lot, and when I needed the money, I didn't have it. My answer to you is, if you be an owner of hundreds of stores, if you come to the point that you needed the money, you also wouldn't have it. You don't have it, not because you did what Hashem told you to. Because Hashem didn't want you to begin when to have it, for his own reasons. It's a test, he's paying you for something you did in the past, but it's all for your own good. But for sure, you never lost anything from listening and sacrificing for the truth. Never, ever in a history. And if you don't get it, that means you never became religious. You're a robot, but you're not religious. Maybe from the outside you look like it, but you're not religious. You're not having any emunah. You don't understand how Hashem runs the world, thinking Hashem is punishing me for sacrificing for His truth, leaving jobs, leaving uh, stealing, leaving women, leaving all this dirt to do what He wants, to become holy, to learn, to sacrifice. And for that I'm suffering. You're very wicked, my friend. Wake up. And if you're in this level, you have to learn only emunah, nothing else. No gemara, no nothing. From morning to night, emunah, one year straight, until you get it through your head. That's what they say in Hebrew, what doesn't come through the head, comes through the legs. In the end, it will go in. Force it in, until it will be solid. It will be an integral part of your brain. What does it mean? 100% trust in Hashem. Hashem put me in the Empire State Building and say, jump, I'll hold you, don't worry. I won't hesitate a second. This is the level we have to get. Hashem said, jump, don't worry, I'm protecting you. Shema Israel, jump. Don't worry. To worry means you don't believe in Hashem. 
I know. You think, ah, you went too far. You're speaking to a very high level. The answer is no. Hashem told everyone in the nation of Israel not to leave bread for tomorrow. Everyone. Not only the righteous one. Not only Moshe and, and Yoshua and the rest of the important people. Every ordinary man, women, slave, everyone. Converts. The Egyptian converts. He was bowing down to a sheep a week ago. And Hashem said to them, be careful. I'm giving you bread today. Don't put it in a jar and leave for tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll give you new bread. And those who kept it, Hashem punished them. It became all warm. So you see, the demand to trust Hashem still remains until this moment to every Jew and every Goy, intelligent, foolish, rich, poor, everyone must trust Hashem in everything. That's, that's the main purpose in life. Father, I trust you. Don't trust all kinds of of generous people. Sometimes they're really generous, sometimes their mouth is generous. Don't trust them. Just aim to get it from Hashem directly, and Hashem will have his own messengers. He'll get it, don't worry. One way or the other, like this Pakistani woman, when Hashem wanted to give it to her, she didn't have to kill herself. She was trying to sell the card. Hashem said, your time to become rich arrived. How much you work for it? Nothing. One million dollar overnight. And I have many stories like this, but it's not the time. We'll see you next week. Thank you very much.